0: I invite you to Isaiah chapter 53 for for, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. We'll step away from our verse-by-verse study through Matthew's gospel, and we'll study together this Sunday the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and Lord willing, next Sunday, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to be looking at verses 4, 5, and 6. Isaiah 53, as we talked uh, Wednesday night, studying through the books of the Bible, we studied Isaiah on uh, this past Wednesday night, and we talked about how Isaiah 53 is really uh, one of the most monumental chapters uh, of the Bible, certainly of the Old Testament. Um, Very important, clear, uh, true prophetic theological word from the Lord. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles in our vestibule here, we have Bibles in our overflow, and we would love for you to pick up a copy today as our gift to you. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture? Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows... Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you. The cross explained. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we glorify you. Our hearts have been filled this morning as we have been gathered together already in our classes studying your word together, coming together in worship for the sole purpose of worship, to honor and glorify you, to magnify your Son. It has already been our joy to sing these songs of declaration and praise and declaring our faith, rejoicing in who you are, full of anticipation and expectation and hope because of your truth, because of Christ, because of the gospel, because of the things that are most precious in this life. That's why we're here, and those things that are most precious, Lord, are from you, who is our greatest treasure. Our God. We delight in you. We lift our voices to you. We lift our prayers to you. And we sit beneath your word today. We have the awesome, awesome privilege today to look to the cross through the eyes of faith and not through the eyes of the world or the flesh, but through the eyes of truth, through the eyes of eternity. What a glorious opportunity and privilege it is, Father. There are so many, literally billions who will wake up today and live out this day, some in dreadful, horrid circumstances. And they will never know the God of the universe and the Christ of salvation. And here we are, Father, able to rejoice in you and worship you and come together around your word. And so we just ask God that you might feed us, that you might nourish our faith today, strengthen us, open our hearts, fill us with Christ, fill us with your spirit. Make us the people of God you desire us to be. May we leave, having gathered today, may we leave with a fresh zeal and a And a deepened affection for Christ and for the cause of the gospel and for the salvation of those apart from you. We ask for your help, Lord, that the one who's speaking today would not be in the way. So guard the communication and guard the reception of your word, Lord, Help us, help us, help us. There are ways that we need to be helped that we're not aware of or that we don't give attention to. We pray for help in those ways to build your church, Lord, through the ministry of your word and your spirit. On the foundation of the gospel of Christ Jesus, our Lord. We give you praise and glory for everything that you will achieve for the glory of your name. And we look to Christ through this passage today and we, we declare again from our hearts as we sang earlier. Crown him Lord of all. To you be the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So today we've already mentioned it's Palm Sunday. We're already, Easter's just right around the corner. It's hard to believe. I know it's a little earlier this year. It seems a lot earlier. So this is the beginning of what we usually speak of on the Christian calendar of the, of the year is Holy Week. It means we are, we this week as believers commemorate the, the last week of Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth and palm sunday of course is referring to those palm branches that were laid on the ground as, as Jesus rode into jerusalem and we know this this expression this act as uh, would be considered uh, in their day much like what we would say today is rolling out the red carpet is uh, essentially what was happening it was signifying that this man is great this man is to Be acknowledged, this man is special, this man is to be regarded, to be respected. And the cheering crowd rang out with hosannas. Hosanna combined of of two uh, Hebrew words meaning, save us, please. Save us, please. So Jesus was was declared it, it, they would they, they rang out those hosannas and they said blessed is he who comes in 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 the name of the lord the the king of israel so no no more accurate praise could have been given jesus than on that day that palm sunday when jesus christ the the, the praises would hail him as savior hosanna and as King, save us, this is the king. It was, a, it was triumphant, it was celebratory, and it was short-lived. In less than a week, those cheers would turn to jeers. Hosanna would be replaced with crucify him. Imagine that. Save us, please, to kill him, please. And by Friday, known as Good Friday, Jesus would hang on a cruel Roman cross, despised, humiliated, rejected, tortured, and eventually dead. What are we to make of this tragic ending of the life and ministry of Jesus? The disciples were certainly perplexed and confused, weren't they? They... they Fled from Christ. They, after the crucifixion, they went into hiding. They were in fear of their own lives. Would they be next? Here is, here is a miracle worker that is undeniable. There, there are too, there are too many occasions. There are too many eyewitnesses. There are too many people walking around that used to be lame and blind that now see and walk. There are too many of those to, to deny that he is a miracle worker. And he went about doing good. He helped those who were downcast. He helped those who were outcast. He, he went about doing good. He went about preaching the, the kingdom of heaven. His, his message was of heaven. All of those things are without question. All of those things are... Documented, All of those things have numerous eyewitnesses. He claimed to be God. That's in no dispute. He claimed to be the way to heaven, the, the sole access to God the Father. He claimed to have come down from heaven to deliver God's people. The bread of God come from heaven. And yet, Here he is on a cross, executed in public, blood soaked, dying as a criminal. How is this man to save anyone if he cannot even save himself? Helpless and finally breathless, he hung his head and he died. He says he is, and that seems to be apparent from his remarkable power demonstrated time and time again, this is the same person who walked on water. What in the world is he doing on a cross? It seems so out of place. It seems of being savior and king and... And yet, this is the very place, what seems so out of place, is actually the very place he was destined for from birth. What takes us as surprise in reading through the biblical account of the life of Christ and seeing and hearing how the New Testament describes the cross, what, what appears to be a failure to save was actually the means to save. The very thing that made Jesus appear to be anything but Savior and King... was precisely the thing that makes Him Savior as our King. In fact, the cross was God's plan to save His people from the beginning and that's why we're looking in isaiah 53 today because isaiah writes about the cross the suffering servant of god through this prophetic lens some 700 years 700 years before jesus was born which lays the the foundation of God's designed plan that Christ, His Son, truly came to die. That this was the plan, this was the means of of the salvation of God's people. So first of all, in verse 4, let's just talk a little bit about the cross misunderstood... The cross misunderstood. You see there, halfway through verse 4, the Bible says, yet. So first of all, it it paints, it, it, it briefly describes the picture of what the cross actually is, and then it says, yet, and then goes on to describe, but we didn't get it. We don't see it that way. Humanity, apart from Christ, apart from faith, apart from the new birth and the new heart, apart from the truth of God's Word, we don't get the cross. We miss the cross. We misunderstand the cross. And it really should come as no surprise or shock that the cross would be so misunderstood. Here it is 700 years before it happens, and Isaiah says it's going to happen. This is the things that it's going to look like when it happens. This is what God is doing when it happens. And oh, by the way, we don't get it. Apart from faith in Christ, apart from embracing the truth of God, we don't get the cross. It is misunderstood. Jesus' enemies were certainly confused, weren't they? They didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. They had no idea that their plan to annihilate Jesus would actually accomplish his greatest work. That what they meant to do to stop the gospel and stop Jesus was part of God's plan all along to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then instead of shoving a dead body in a hole in the ground and putting a seal on it and that be it, that would actually be the beginning of that man and his message being spread to the ends of the earth. They certainly didn't get the cross. Or that would have been the last thing they would have done. The disciples we mentioned, they were distraught. They, they couldn't comprehend how does dying on the cross deliver us? He's dead. We're still under Roman authority. We're on the run for our lives. How does that deliver us? Even today, the cross of Christ is misunderstood. It's, if it is even historically accepted as the fact that it is that Jesus did die at the hands of the Romans by crucifixion, if it even is acknowledged as a historical fact, it's simply spoken of as nothing more than a tragic death in the history of tragic deaths. But God says the cross is so much more. God views the cross from a different perspective It wasn't a victory of Christ's enemies. It was the victory of Christ over every one of his enemies. It wasn't merely a death recorded in history. It was a death that changed history. It wasn't just the death of an innocent man without consequence, it was the death of the Son of Man with eternal consequence. It wasn't the failure of Jesus to accomplish his mission to save God's people. It was, in fact, Jesus saving God's people. That's why in the first part of verse 4, God in Christ was doing something for the people of God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He carried more than a cross that day. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows as sinners in a sin-soaked, sin-fallen world. To the physical eye, the cross was just two beams of wood. To the spiritual eye, the cross was the structure upon which the Prince of Glory would bear the weight of the sin of the world. But it wasn't seen that way. Surely, he has has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him. We looked at Jesus on the cross, and here is our conclusions. Here's the result that we arrive at. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We esteemed him stricken, that is, defeated. If someone is stricken, they're defeated. They are overcome. They lose. And if you don't see the cross through the truth of God's word, the theological doctrinal truth of God's word that defines the cross for us, that's the same with everything else, by the way. Creation, mankind, God, everything, if we don't see it through the truth of God's Word, which defines it and gives it its meaning, with a heart of faith that believes what God says is true, then Jesus looks like a man just stricken, beaten within an inch of his life, wearing a crown of thorns, bearing the flogging stripes, beaten down, bloodied, and dying, defeated, humiliated, stricken. We look to the cross and we see nothing more than defeat. He didn't accomplish his mission. He didn't do what he said he came to do. That's our conclusion. But also our conclusion is that he is one smitten of God. He's not only defeated, he's smitten of God. In other words, our rationale would be something like this. If something so horrible happens to such a good person, maybe he wasn't so good. Maybe he was on the wrong track, and God stepped in, and look what's happened to him now. He is smitten of God. Even the Old Testament testifies in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, that a man hanging on a tree is cursed by God. That's why he's there. So, we look at Jesus, and there's a man hanging on a tree. He's smitten of God. Now, if he's the Savior, if he's the Son of God, if he's the Son of Man, why would he be smitten of God? Why would he be hanging on a tree? See, see our, conclusion, our conclusions, our man-focused, finite, fallen reasoning will always trail in the wrong direction with all kinds of justification and rationalizations. We'll even tag on a scripture verse here and there to see things our way. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. Added to the the brutal physical pain and suffering of crucifixion was the scorn and the mockery of the soldiers and the religious leaders. That's how the cross looks to the unsaved eye. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten. He's doing God's work, but we see it stricken, smitten, afflicted, no consequence. How in the world can this be the king, the savior, the deliverer of God's people? In fact, in the previous chapter, all of this about Christ and the cross actually begins in chapter 52 of Isaiah. And in verse 14, Isaiah says, His appearance was so marred that it was beyond human semblance. That's how terrible and awful and grotesque it was to look upon Christ hanging, expiring on the cross. A body so broken and bloodied and hanging in despair and seeming defeat resembled more of an animal than a man. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 53, it says he kind of looked like a lamb led to slaughter. If you can envision that, which make some connections to the Lamb of God, but this looks like defeat. How can this be victory? That's why verse 5 begins with, but he. It takes us to our second point. The cross is substitutionary atonement. We missed it. We can't get it. We don't get it. Apart from Christ, we look at the cross and and we don't see it for what it is, but he, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, defeated, cursed, scorned, but he, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We viewed Christ on the cross as stricken and smitten and afflicted, but now the fog is lifted. In verse 5, God explains the cross to us or we won't get it. And the explanation is, no, that's not what was happening. It it wasn't a, a, a person simply stricken and smitten and afflicted. In the Stricken and smitten and afflicted in the suffering. He was accomplishing exactly what he came and promised to do. Now the fog begins to lift. Now God's plan begins to come into view. This wasn't the merely the death of a man. This was a sacrifice for sin. Like a lamb led to slaughter. Jesus died, and verse 5 tells us he was fierce for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, the next two parts of verse verse 5 explain to us what Christ gives us. So, transgressions and iniquities is what he takes from us. Peace and complete healing is what he gives us. But in the process of taking our transgressions and iniquities and giving us peace and complete healing. This is what's taking place on the cross. Jesus died for our iniquities and transgressions in order to bring us peace, in order to completely heal us, save us, we could say. Now, what is a transgression? What is an iniquity? And a a transgression occurs when someone breaks God's law, when we disobey God's law. And we do that whether we have the written word in our laps or whether we just simply have it written upon our conscience. So every single person on the planet has defied God and his law. A transgression means we... We cross, we cross the moral line that God has drawn. We ignore God's boundaries when he says this is good and this is bad, we ignore the boundaries. We transgress, we cross over, we break through. A transgressor is is essentially a trespasser. We enter, we 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 forge headlong into forbidden territory. Where God says don't go is exactly where we go. Transgression. Iniquity is simply a word that means acts of evil, acts of wrongdoing. Defying nature, ignoring conscience, pleasing selfish desires, iniquity. So when God begins to explain the cross, he's explaining it in terms of atonement. In other words, on the cross, sin is being dealt with. Jesus is dealing with sin, transgressions and iniquity. Christ, the Son of God, and and sin is coming into contact with one another, and the view of that is the cross that looks stricken, smitten, afflicted. But it's actually where sin and the Savior collide, and this is what it looks like when he's accomplishing the work of redemption. The debt of sin is being paid. Transgressions and iniquities are being dealt with, paid for. Judgment is being rendered. There's judgment. just The just judgment of God is falling upon transgressions and falling upon iniquities. And when it falls upon them, upon the Son of Man who is carrying them, the cross is what it looks like, smitten of God. That's what it looks like. Punishment is being meted out. But wait a minute. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father. In every thought, in every word, in every deed, he completely fulfilled god's law. He never transgressed. he never broke through the father never said, "Son, don't do this," and Jesus said, "No, I think I will." He never did that in fact, he said, "Not my will, but your will be done he he There never was an iniquity that was could be leveled or or charged or given to his account he never committed an act of evil or wrongdoing he never did anyone wrong he himself never did wrong so when the bible says he's he's being pierced for transgressions he's he's being crushed for iniquities that's what's happening sins those are not his iniquities iniquities so to whom do all these sins belong whose transgressions and iniquities are being paid for with such a brutal view of suffering the bible is so very for our transgressions the very ones who misunderstood the whole thing He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's what's happening. He's not defeated. God the Father is not just heaping curses upon him in rejection of him. He's not just a man that's been beaten up and afflicted. He's He's bearing our transgressions. That's why it looks the way it looks. He's bearing our iniquities. He's being crushed under the payment of our sin. That's why it looks like defeat to the human unbelieving eye. And so, not only is the cross about atonement, he's dealing with sin. That's what's happening. It's about substitution. He's dealing with my sin. He's not just dealing with sin in general. Some idea floating around there that we call sin. He's dealing with actual, literal sin. My actual, literal sin. Things that I have done, I have said, I have thought, I have committed. My crimes. He's paying for. Substitutionary atonement never give that up in theological circles everywhere and in churches everywhere substitutionary atonement is under fire and being rejected never give it up if you lose substitutionary atonement you've lost everything because if jesus doesn't pay for your sins and mine then we have to don't give it up the cross is substitutionary my sin your sin the sin of all the people of god so it was my transgressions upon those shoulders i'm the one that makes him look smitten It was my iniquities falling on the head of the prince of glory. I'm the one that causes him to be crushed. He was there for me. Which gives a whole new zeal and meaning to the words when we sing those words, crown him Lord of all, amen? He's my substitute. He takes my place, bears the wrath of God against my sin. He is my atonement. He removes my sin by bearing the judgment of my sin. Sin has to be dealt with or the justice of God is nullified. If God is not just, he's not God. If he's not God, there is no God. Now we're in worse shape. So how much did my sin cost the Savior? My dark thoughts, my selfish motives, my evil deeds, my sinful, wicked words. How can I ever be free of my sin which separates me from God and sentences me to an eternity of doom? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He was pierced with thorns and nails and a spear. He was crushed beneath the wrath of the holiness and justice of the Father. He was chastised as though he was the wicked one. He was wounded. Can we just stop there for a moment? Consider those words. He was wounded. He was wounded for me. The piercing, the crushing, the chastising, the wounding, those were mine because those were my transgressions. Those were my iniquities, not his. He didn't have any. Those were mine. Which means the punishment was mine. That was mine. He wasn't just dying. He was dying for me. And because Christ on the cross is my substitutionary atonement... Theological terms are not empty and boring and dry. Instead of facing the piercing and crushing and chastising and wounding judgment of God upon my sin, through Christ, instead of eternal judgment, I have peace. Upon him was the chastisement that did what? That brought us Peace, that's how we get where we are today with peace with God through the chastisement that Christ endured on our behalf. That, by the way, was our chastisement, ours. So make sure when you approach the Scripture and when you make... I'm sure when you approach faith in Christ, you don't do so through the, through the lens of, okay, let's see what's fair and what's not fair. I have peace with God, peace that the world cannot give, reconciliation with my creator, peace that passes all understanding, peace that will bloom and last for eternity, a peace that will never end. I have that because he bore my chastisement. So instead of bearing chastisement, he delivers peace. And I have complete healing. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, all of these descriptions are speaking of eternal salvation. So we don't get to the last description and say, oh, that means if you are a Christian then God promises to heal every single one of your sicknesses and illnesses in this life. That's an absolute misreading of Scripture. With His wounds we are healed. He does heal on occasion. Jesus healed on occasion. He didn't heal on every occasion. He healed on some occasions to show that He heals entirely forever. He's the one that heals entirely forever. And that's the kind of healing that he brings. He's healed me completely. First, by restoring my soul. The work begins on the inside, right? He he begins my complete healing by the new birth. He, He restores my soul. And soon, one day, he will match that restored soul, that new birth, that new creation on the inside, with a new, glorified, immortal body made to live forever in his presence with joy unspeakable. So he makes you new, and then he makes you whole, body and soul complete healing never die no more sickness no more pain complete healing now that wasn't mine that wasn't yours we didn't deserve that we didn't automatically get that somebody had to buy that somebody had to pay for that somebody had to purchase that in order we could never earn Christ took what we deserved in order to give us what we could never earn. We would never get there apart from Christ. Just let this sink in. Some of us have heard about the cross since we were old enough to understand the words and, and color the picture in Sunday school. So we might be letting this slip by us without letting it sink deeply in. There is absolutely no way in the world that I could, in this life or in the next life, ever have peace with God. Ever. There's no other way. There is no way in this world or in the next life I would ever be whole. Ever. I would always be broken. I would always be fallen. I would always be stumbling around in darkness for eternity there's no way i would ever be whole because he is our only substitute why why is it that christians are so arrogant that they would think that their religion is the only true religion here's why it has nothing to do with arrogance it has everything to do with truth If Jesus is your only substitute, that means he's the only one paying for your transgressions and iniquity. If he is your only substitute, then he's your only savior. So that brings us to point three. The cross is the only salvation for sinners. Verse six. And we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone by Where it says everyone, take those words out, put your name in. We like sheep have gone astray, we have turned willowings to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. There is no way we can save ourselves. There's not enough good works to outweigh or dismiss or subtract our bad works. Apart from grace, we don't even want God. We go our own way. Unless, of course, it's a God that looks like we want Him to look. We even have those in church. We have gone astray. Every single one of us have gone astray. We've gone our own way. says that. This is quoted by Paul in the New Testament, Romans. We've we've gone our own way instead of God's way. What does that mean, transgressor? If he doesn't save us, we won't be saved. If he doesn't die for us, we won't have eternal life. There was only one way because there is only one Lord and one Savior and one means to remove our sins. So the Lord, this is the only way, there's only one way. So the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us have gone astray. We're gone. We're doomed. We're under the judgment of God. There's no way we can save ourselves. We don't even want God. So the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross is that is so misunderstood becomes the place where Jesus is so loved and worshipped and praised by a multitude without number from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. Once the cross is explained, the gore turns to glory, the sorrow and shame to joy, the death to life, where Jesus takes my sin and gives me salvation. Let's pray. Father, we, we have been in holy territory today. I, I pray that we've had ears to hear. We have did the best we can, Lord, to see and honor and glorify standing in the shadow of the cross where your son gave his life that we might have life. So I pray, Father, that you would do a tremendous work in our lives at having viewed the cross. There may be some of us who are apart from you, who have lived for quite a while thinking we are right with you, and yet we've never considered the cross. We've never considered Christ. And today we have, and we understand we we need a Savior, and He's the only one. Maybe today we need faith in Christ. Maybe today, Father, we, just, we view Christ again on the cross and all that he's done for us and our, our fire for the Lord is refreshed and we recommit our lives to you or whatever it might be today. I pray that you would accomplish your great work in our lives, that you would build your church, that you would revive us, Lord, that you would set us apart that we would be a different people, a holy people, having been by the cross today. We pray for that tremendous work of renewal as a result of the substitutionary atonement of Christ our Lord. We ask for this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.